Don's fans, Ian here. Welcome to another bonus episode of Don the Stat. As the AFL era has progressed, stats have gone from simple kicks, marks and handballs to a cacophony of different numbers and figures that can be difficult to know what is of value and what is just hot air. My guest tonight is someone who's not only able to cut through all the noise that's out there, but also presents information in engaging and insightful ways. He's one of, been one of my favourite Twitter discoveries of the past year, and I'm very grateful he's agreed to join me tonight. Liam, welcome to Don the Stat. Thanks for having me. That's all right. Uh, before we start, just want to say congratulations on getting a new job. That must be a relief. Although you now need to navigate the Sydney property market, so don't envy you there. Exactly. Oh, these rental prices are uh, insane. So right. um, I'm looking forward to it. You can use your analysis skills to find the, the best deal. Although, <laughs> you know, if, even some of your skills might be paddling up up a creek there. Exactly. Rental right. rental markets aren't really my specialty. Uh, fair enough. Uh, look, just give us a bit of background about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you studied. Yeah, so I'm. My name's Liam, and I'm a I'm a professional data scientist at university. I studied statistics um, as a part of my mathematics degree, and during that, I just learnt a lot of programming with a strong passion for footy, mainly just Australian rules football, and just 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 grew up really enjoying lots of sports, and then being able to leverage my mathematics and my statistics skills to create visualizations, data analysis for any any data set I can get my hands on, but particularly during the football season, uh, particularly for footy stats, this is, um, is, is what I really enjoy working on. Well, you, you've been providing a great service. It's the sort of thing that, you know, not a lot of people get to see. I imagine, you know, those who have access to champion data can get this sort of stuff made up for them, but you're doing, you know, you're doing it for free. So we really mm-hmm. appreciate that. Um, and you're also part of a very exclusive club. Uh, I've only ever had one other non-Essendon fan, uh, Ricky Mangetis, who spoke to us about his time at North Melbourne with Brad Scott. So uh, I established, uh, based on some of your tweets, that you're a Port supporter. Tell us where that comes from. Yeah, my dad is, um, he's from the heartland of South Australia, out in the Murray-Darling. So he's hes a big, he's been a Port Adelaide fan since he was, since, since he was born. And kind of genetically, that gets passed down to the kids. But I really think it got cemented during the 2004 premiership that Port Adelaide won. So I was six at the time. And there's a photo of me with my dad and my grandma um, holding the premiership cup when it came on a tour when we lived in WA at the time. And I've just kind of loved them ever since. I've um, ever since then just trying to, just, just waiting to recreate that that same high of being a six year old kid and having your team win. Um, I would like to like to have that again in my in my twenties yeah. or thirties. <laughs> you know, don't ask assessors and supporters about that. You know, we don't want to give you hopes about about waiting because we're we're still waiting. I'm sure there's a lot of six year olds from the 2000 Premiership Essendon fans that are still waiting for that for that opportunity in their in their twenties. There, uh, I guess. Just how are you feeling about their their prospects uh, this year coming off what was obviously a pretty poor year, an unexpectedly poor year last year? Yeah, I the, this year for Port Adelaide was quite interesting. I think this year was Port Adelaide, I think, are on the right track. I, I think this year they've got about a 50-50 chance of making the finals. It's whether the results fall our way. I, I, I think we've got a solid midfield, particularly with the new players we picked up and all the all the youngsters we've got. Um, I'm really keen to see our midfield become one of the best in the competition. It's whether our defence can really hold up. Um, I think Alir Alir is going to be a, a, a pivotal player for us. He got injured last year during the first, first half of the season. So hopefully he can get a full year under his belt. Charlie Dixon up forward is just clunking marks. Um, hopefully he can he can kick straight, but I'm 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 cautiously optimistic that Port Adelaide can make make finals. I don't think we're going to make the top four, but I definitely think we should be challenging spots five through to eight um, as a minimum, hoping that results fall that way. Of course, hmm. I think a lot of people would would think that way about Port this year, seeing as last last year is just sort of a blip. There, mm-hmm. I guess. So bring, bringing it back to the Dons uh, as a Port supporter, how do you? View Essendon now. My my view is that Port fans see Essendon as sort of a feeder team, 
you know, Wanganine, Shea Cockatoo Collins, uh, mm-hmm. Ryder, Monfries, Fantasia. Mm-hmm. You just you like to steal our you like to steal our players, potentially particularly a lot of our good players. I'd sure, I, I was trying to think. I don't sure if there's ever a player that's gone from Port Adelaide to Essendon directly. I know Will Snelling was on Port's list, but came via uh, the supplementary selection period. I feel I feel like it's a very one way uh, trade relationship there. Yeah, it it does seem to be. Uh, I so I'm currently living in Brisbane. And there's only there's only one team in Brisbane, so there's really only two teams that I know a lot about, and that's the Brisbane Lions and Port Adelaide. So I, I'm, I'm, I kind of sit outside the the Victorian media bubble, essentially, where it's all all the Victorian clubs just kind of blur into one that I don't I don't particularly pay <laughs> very much attention to. Um, so it's this weird kind of um, you know you you play against them once or twice a year um you pick up a player every now and then but it's 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 this weird kind of uh distance um distance between between kind of the rival clubs not not quite the same as like a port adelaide versus adelaide rivalry or port adelaide versus brisbane up up here or gold coast um that i really don't don't really have any strong opinions on um but it's it's funny you mentioned the feeder club aspect of it because there's a couple of other players that went back and forth. So Jay Nash um, yep. went back and forth. Uh, Scott Cummings as well mm-hmm. played for both Port Adelaide, and I think the last one we didn't mention was Damian Hardwick. He played for both yes. Port Adelaide and Essendon. Um, Scott Cummings was the interesting one. He um, he played for four clubs in the end. I think he played for West Coast and Collingwood mm-hmm. um, between the two. So there's nine nine players that have gone back and forth, but it seems to be one-way traffic. Um, well, I know that... Gavin Wanganin, yeah. Yeah. I know that uh, at least at least amongst Essendon fans, there's always been the rumour that Dodora's been trying to get Ollie Wines uh, out of out of port uh, for, for ages and obviously has never been successful in that. It must be, you know, there must just be a filter one way between the clubs. You know, you can't get a player back, back the other way there. It all goes one way. But yeah. But yeah. I guess, look, the dispassionate thing is probably a good thing when it comes to analysis and stats because you get to look at things without you know the biases there that may come you know you might look at Adelaide stats and try and find all the worst points of how they're performing and and the like there so you can bag them out but you you know when you're looking at a team like Essendon you can be a bit more you know focused and analytical there so I guess you sort of brought it up at the start but just when did you start becoming in the the high-end stats and analytics side of football when did that really take off for you it's kind of an interesting story so it's I was following this Facebook page called Useless AFL Stats, and they're um, and I'm I'm one of the admins now. So I got chatting with Aaron because I was submitting stats to the page, um, and Aaron was like, Aaron does his stats by printing them out and using a highlighter. Like he he doesn't know how to use a computer. So for me to come on and just help him out with the more advanced abstract useless stats that don't particularly help anyone um i thought was is kind of like an interesting start off point um and from there i've I've been an admin for about three years now just doing lots of little problem solving skills like which players have got repeat fantasy scores over four games you know stuff like that and just doing little problem solving challenges um and from there got in contact with james day he created a a package that allows us to access the back end of afltables.com and that allows me to get the entire playing history from 1897 up to 2022 and that's updated weekly of all the kind of basic stats but it's it's fair it's very comprehensive it's um, it's a it's a great data source um, so i say that's where i started off with my kind of analysis and then in the more recent years, um, a couple of Twitter friends uh, of mine accessed the the chain data, essentially. So data that um, is like actions in a game. And from there, I've been able to just kind of leverage that data source to create more in-depth analytics based on disposals. Who was the disposer? Where were they? X, Y coordinate? Was it effective? The kick handball? Who did it go to? Was it intercepted? Who was it intercepted by? And so though that's kind of the next the next level. You go from AFL tables up to 
the, the advanced level of the chain data. Um, so I'd say that's kind of where what my journey has been like when, um, when analysing AFL stats. Yeah. And when you say the chain data, is that sort of like the old um, field map that used to be on the AFL website that would sort of update live with the position and the ball movement? They seem to have gone away from mm. revealing that on the website, but obviously they track that as they're live, live yeah. as they're going there. They just don't show it to anyone. So exactly. um, if you, you know, you're trying to picture it, that's that's sort of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I guess, you know, what's your view on, on data like that? And uh, how it should be used in football, particularly by coaches. What should they, what should they be looking for in those data sets to help them with their their team's performance? I think it's really good. <clears throat> I think it's a it's a fairly new and novel data set that um, I don't think coaches or media or analysts properly utilise at the moment. There's kind of your main KPIs that teams look for. Are they are they looking to win? clearances are they looking to win this are they doing are the rebounds fast enough are they able to transition effectively are they handballing too much are they kicking too much so most of the the week-to-week analytics at at these club at clubs are fairly they're fairly basic we're not we're not really at the level of um major league baseball or nfl um or NBA um, level of analytics in, in terms of like how to construct plays and how to analyze it. So I think there's, I think using this chain data is, is a, is still fairly new. Um, and it's not something that's been fully realized um, by coaches or analysts or just had enough investment to really revolutionize the game in the next step. But I, I definitely think there's a lot of value in the data set and whether champion data and the clubs can leverage that it's kind of up to them like i guess it's one of those things where the first the first club that does it and does it well is going to get you know a big a big advantage there and that can be the difference between winning a premiership or or not you know not making the finals or, or losing in the first round do you think it's one of those things where people are too stuck in their ways with with what they've always known or there's a perception that afl is a lot more random and you know you know something like baseball you know there's that one interaction and that that's where everything else comes off. Whereas, you know, Australian rules, you know, it's it's sort of all over the shop and there's a lot more different types of interactions between the ball and the players that they mm-hmm. feel that it's not it's not worth it there. It's it's definitely one of the hardest to to analyze effectively. That the the data set is so incredibly massive. And when you when you start thinking about not just the player and where they handle from, but you've got all You've got the GPS movements of 36 other players at once. How do you even pass this effectively to get um, to get something actionable, to get an actual insight from this data set? Um, so I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of research that kind of needs to go into um, how, how can we how can we use this data to inform a game plan or inform a certain style of play and why that style of play and different how different players kind of interact to 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 really benefit the team. I, I think I think it's quite a long way off um, in, the, in the AFL in in the Australian football um, scene, but it's it's definitely growing. There's a lot more there's a lot more push for advanced analytics, um, but it's 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 a tediously slow process, um, unfortunately. It'd probably be one of those things where there's, you know, there's a lot of noise to get to get through in the data, and then there'll be some sort of breakthrough, and that'll sort of jump everyone ahead. Where you know different perspectives come into it. People like yourself and and the people you're working with, you know, might find something or might might make a step, and then the clubs might take that and make another step, and things along those lines. So mm-hmm. I guess it's something to keep an eye on. But I guess as as you sort of said, the advanced analytics is really starting to come into more of the mainstream. And I think the one that's really started to appear has been the concept of X score. I think it was last year was the first year it started appearing in the mainstream, particularly it would appear in the newspaper reports, mm-hmm. you know, after the weekend of games. Uh, there are probably a lot of people out there who still don't quite get the concept of X score. Can you uh, go into what it is and what it measures? X score is a, it's a metric that tries to quantify um, the likelihood of a goal um, based on 
a lot of different factors. Um, so, for example, we can take the distance from goal, whether it's a set play versus a uh, kind of like a general ball contest. How did the player receive the ball? Um, and so these this this essentially builds up builds up a metric that allows us to allows us to quantify how difficult a shot is. So, for example, um, if you're twenty if you're taking a set shot from twenty three meters out on a slight angle, what do you what do you think the chance of a goal is? What do you think the chance uh, of a goal would be? Who's kicking? No, um, <laughs> the average <laughs> AFL player. The average AFL player. I would say that you're probably looking at 75%, given maybe 80. So at 23 metres on a 15-degree angle, it's 89%. Okay. Chance right, for goal. I'm probably just remembering all the one, the easy ones for the miss. It's a bit of, you know, memory bias there. Yeah. But if you go out to 41 metres on the same angle, what do you think the goal chance goes to? I would say you're probably closer to 50 yeah, it's about 55 to 60%. Yep. So really expected score is all about quantifying the, the shots at goal. What was the, of an average AFL player, what's the likelihood of a goal chance? What's the likelihood of a behind? And then converting that on a scale from zero to six. So six being the easiest goal you could imagine. Um, three metres out, set shot. That has an expected score of... 99%. So there's like always five, a chance. Yeah. There's always a chance. I think you I think you highlighted a, a moment from the season that you said was the easiest miss mm. of, of the season. So yeah, it can even happen. Like we've seen exactly. people run into open goals and manage to kick it miss. right angles on the boot into the post. So yeah. Exactly. And then you and then you have a look at goals from 54 meters. So if a shot from 54 meters at a 30 35 mm. degree angle, that's about 28%. And the X score, so on a scale from zero to six, is two, essentially, for that one. Um, and that gets harder if you're under under pressure. So if you if you got the ball via a hard ball get, that about halves your goal chance. Um, but if you get it from a loose ball or from a handball receive, your goal chance increases because it implies a certain level of um, control um, over the ball. So it, it's... At its most simple, it's just a metric of goal likelihood for each diff- uh, for each point in time. Okay, and the way they calculate the total score is they take all those those averages from where the shots were taken under what condition. So you know, if you take three shots from fifty four out on a 30, 30 odd degree angle, mm-hmm. that means they're you take you adding six to their x score for the match, and mm-hmm. then you add all those metrics together, and you get there. X score there is that how that's calculated? Yeah. So uh, once 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 the game's over and we have, for example, thirty four shots on goal, um, I'm looking at round one, Melbourne. They kicked a score of ninety seven. Um, they had uh, let's say seven misses. Uh, so they had thirty four shots and their expected score was ninety six point eight. So they shot at the AFL average for when for across all the shots they take across all the shots they took they shot at an AFL average um, uh, compared to the Western Bulldogs they scored 71 and their expected score was 53 so that means they shot well above average um, so that's a plus 18 X score differential and they only had 18 shots so they've really maximized their effectiveness but we're talking um, we're talking uh, handball received um, 40 metres out on a 50-degree angle. That's a 23% goal chance. So they're converting all these tougher shots, not missing the easy ones as well. So it's really it's really about trying to convert, converting the tough ones, not missing your easy ones, allows you to have a higher uh, X score versus your actual score. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the game summary uh, mm-hmm. statistic that you'll see um, at the end of a game. Okay. And, I mean, uh, I just, just want to clarify, you mentioned uh, they measure goals and behinds. They also uh, count out on the fools as part of the part of the metric? Yes. Okay. So if, if a player um, is on the boundary line with a set shot, maybe they're 
uh, so 25 metres out on a 70-degree angle uh, towards the goal. So that has a that has a goal chance of 23% um, and an X score of 1.8. And if that goes out on the full, we're able to work that into the model. That's a shot on goal, a shot at goal. Um, it doesn't appear on the, the final goal tally, like 11 goals for... Um, doesn't include all the shots that were missed, smothered, dropped short. So um, it's it, it really takes into account every, every every shot at goal. Okay. So when when you're talking about what they're being compared to, are they being compared to the competition as a whole or just a team's historic performance in that area? They're being compared to the the competition. Okay. So the entire the entire competition. Um, is is fed through this model, so I've used a, um, a a classification model. So from each location, each x y coordinate, and each type of pressure situation, um, there's a goal chance, a, a behind chance, and a no score chance. So those become your three categories, um, and it, that's that's across fifteen thousand shots of goal over the last two or three years, um, and. This, this gives us a good, a really large sample to work with. The larger the sample, the more robust your model is going to be. Um, and it allows you to compare against all the forwards, well, all the shots of goal against the AFL average. It allows you to distinguish your Rewalts, your Kennedys from your, your halfback flanker that takes a pot shot. Um, so... You, you want to be able to see the difference between your elite players compared to the average, and then you can compare the elite players against each other. Yeah. So um, that, that's that's kind of the rationale there. Yeah, so you could you could take a player's, you know, set shots from a game and, and do an X score just for the players, the players' shots as well and, you know, what, what likelihood they were. I guess how long, how many shots would you need from a single player to build a database where you solely, you know, let, let's, say, let's say Peter Wright, for example, how many shots do you think you would need in a in a few year period? Is is, is there enough for them to, to have enough shots to be able to generate a personal X score model? So, you know, you, you said, for example, you know, fifty four out thirty degree, fifty four meters out thirty degree angle. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, Peter writes. You know, that's actually a pretty seems to be a pretty strong area for him mm-hmm. based on his past performance. How much data would you need? from someone like him or someone like, a you know, a Kerner or a Mackay to be able mm-hmm. to generate uh, an effective X score for that particular player as its own, as its own metric. As, as his own metric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting question. So I, I guess at the, at the player level, you mm-hmm. can kind of use, you can use the entire AFL, you can use the entire, um, the entire competition's shots on goal. Mm-hmm. And you can use that to kind of augment that. That that kind of starts as your baseline, yeah. your your baseline model. So we we call that a prior. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of is is your prior, mm-hmm. and based on that, you can then say, well, this person we're going to overlay this person into the model, and we're going to see are there particular areas that this person has strength in? Are they better at set shots between forty to sixty meters? To the AFL average or against the elite average, um, and you can you can begin to paint a picture of there's certain locations that players are better at. Um, for example, for for a player that's maybe only uses their right foot, are they better from the right pocket compared to the left hand pocket? Um, and you can use that kind of you can compare the player to the um, to the competition to kind of generate a difference at certain levels. In terms of how many shots you'd need, I'd say probably over 200, I'd say, to be uh, to be a good sample size, but I, I'd say probably 500. Uh, 200 is kind of like a bare minimum, but 500 shots on goal I think would yeah. be a good starting point. That's all right. Well, you know, it's unfortunate we weren't in the 90s 
being able to do this because you probably get you probably get that from a Dunstall or a, a locker in two or three seasons, but you know that probably almost takes seven or eight seasons from a lot of the players at this yeah. stage. <laughs> um, just on your your model, how does it differ to the the models that have appeared in the media? Do you often compare the results that you got to what's published? Uh, you know, say in the in the Herald Sun or the Age. Uh, or your equivalent um, that you see up in up in Queensland, and does that help? Does that make you tweak your model a bit, or do you sort of trust your model based on your own experience? The 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 champion data model that gets fed to uh, the Herald Sun, so that that uses um, that uses a bit a bit of special source, I guess we call it, and that that special source that really helps is called is the uh, the pressure stat. Um, so the pressure stat is a numerical. Is, it, is, that based, is that based on the so the pressure gauge we've started seeing where, you yep. know, you see teams are ranked at a certain yep. a level level of pressure and yep. so you know, every, every the commentators single- don't seem to know what the number means, but they, they go, oh, that's high or that's low sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you can kind of generally sense it from the game as you're watching it. Um, the, the pressure stat is, is I, I really like it. I think it's really good. Um, it's, it's a numerical measure of how close an opposition player was per disposal. So if you're getting lots of set kicks or set shots on goal, that means that's a low pressure because there's no pressure on the kick. But if you're, there's certain levels, there's like um, chasing, corralling, uh, there's something like imminent contact and then physical contact on a scale of zero to four, I think maybe. Um, so those are kind of the levels where you have zero being no pressure, loose ball get, you've got 10 metres to the next opposition player, all the way down to physical contact, which will be the highest pressure. And so they, Champion Data, use this to augment the, um, the X score to get a finer level of detail um, of how much pressure was being imparted on a kick. Um, so my model tries to proxy around this by using set shot versus a hard ball get versus loose ball versus a handball receive. But that's that doesn't really tell us the whole picture. That tells us how the player got the ball. It doesn't tell us the situation in which that player took the shot on goal. So if a player gets a hard ball get and they, they burst out of the pack and they're totally free, um, as in they've left them for dead, that'll be... No pressure. That'll be like chasing pressure plus one. But my model will say, oh, that's a hard ball get. Lots of pressure. Therefore, the X score is rated a lot, um, lot more, a lot lower, which means kicking the goal is a is a bigger differential. So I'd say that's kind of the main difference between Champion Data and myself. And Champion Data have this data going back a lot more years than I have access to. Um, so their model is a bit more robust essentially. Yep. Fair enough. So I guess, look, you know, as interesting as it is for us fans to see in the paper that, you know, if under X score, under regular conditions, your team would have won. Uh, I do remember back in round six, Essendon Collingwood Anzac Day, uh, the X score suggested that Essendon probably would have won in a regular game, uh, but Collingwood kicked 15-3. So they, you know, they kicked well above average there. Like you just pulled up the stats there on that mm-hmm. game. What was the, just remind us what the X score was at on that. Yeah, so the final score was 82 to 93, and the X score was Essendon 69, Collingwood 55. Yeah. So Collingwood have outkicked the AFL average by an absurd amount. We're talking plus 38 X score. Yeah. They were taking shots, for example, Taylor Adams um, kicked a goal from 53 metres, slight angle. goal chance that one went through and there's similar kicks all over, all over the, all over the ground. The only, the worst miss they had was Reef McInnes. He, um, he had a a loose get shot from 32 meters out, 24 degree angle. Um, That was 42% goal chance. And that's like the worst miss. Um, So we're, we're talking ridiculous, we're ridiculous shots on goal. Isaac Quainer, 53 metres out, no angle from a general play. That's 28% goal chance, X score of 2.1, and that went through for a goal. So 
at an AFL average level, that shot at goal misses 70% of the time that Collingwood had their kicking boots on and they outkicked the average by an insane amount. And then you compare it to kind of Essendon's side. Essendon didn't have a lot of high X score um, shots on goal. We're talking shots on goal from the closest shot on goal was from 23 metres out and the closest set shot was 30 metres out. So Essendon didn't get a lot of high high quality shots on goal despite having 24 shots on goal compared to uh, Collingwood's 18. So that's that's kind of the, 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 the summary statistic which allows us to build a lot more nuance into why a result pans out a certain way. Um, do you have any questions from yeah, that? Yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, that's just sort of, that, that explains really well. And, you know, you, as I was leading into, how how then do you do you see teams being able to use this sort of data to analyse their performance, obviously, as you, you, you've pretty well just done it there, but then take that and move it forward for, say, the rest of the season or into next season when they're determining how they want to play? So for from an attacking perspective, you always want to generate high-quality shots on goal. You want to be taking marks in the goal square 30 metres out, 40 metres out directly in front. Um, why why weren't they able to do that in this game? Was it a certain type of um, defensive matchup? Were they getting the third man back? And then defensively, you don't want to concede um, you don't want to concede high quality shots. You don't want to be conceding contested marks. You don't want to be conceding loose ball gets in the pockets. And then you can kind of refine that to certain players. So you can see Kennedy, um, Josh Kennedy from West Coast Eagles. He he constantly outperforms the AFL average. He takes all his shots from 30 to 60. So in that area. So how do you stop him from marking the ball in that area? Um, can you identify patterns in where a player is likely to get shots and how do you prevent that um, from week to week? So I, I, I think it could be good to say that where you're generating lots of shots, you just need a you just need to keep going. You're generating high quality shots. They're just not coming off the boot right. That's okay. Yeah. But if you're constantly giving up high quality shots on goal, you're you're gonna have a bad time. Um, and that can that can then reinforce going forward how you want to change your game plan. Do you want to have your stringer picking up the ball in the pocket on the right hand side or the left hand side? Is he is this player taking too many shots from the pocket? Should they be looking to center it? Um, so that's that that's the kind of questions that you can then ask based on the X score data. Yeah, and as, as you sort of said at the start of the show, you know, it's the sort of thing that the teams might start doing a bit more and trying to get any sort of advantage uh, using that. Uh, another one of the data sort of sources that you've demonstrated on Twitter is scores from turnovers and sort of the, the mapping of that and just sort of looking at the data when you compiled that at the end of the season. Uh, it seemed a pretty good measurement of eventual ladder position. Can you just explain what that that metric is and, and how you developed that one? Yeah, the the chain data that we that we can look at is um, is is nicely tagged. There's um, it, it tells you how the chain started and how the chain ended, and from there we can subset the, it down into um, a, a chain that starts as a turnover. What does it end up as? Does it end up as a goal? Does it end up as a behind a short goal? Uh, essentially, so one of the best teams at um, at this were the Geelong Cats. So when they turn over the ball, only 10% of the time does their turnover result in a shot on goal. So you're sorry. Um, so you're saying that when Geelong turn over the ball, the opposition is only getting a shot on goal 10% of the time? Yep, based okay. on the next chain. Yep. That's all right. How much and does that have to do with the location of where they're turning it over um, in that? Is, that? is that a key part of it or is it just more generally where so the, turning this over? is this is more of a general. Um, this is more of a general summary statistic, I guess. Um, so Geelong's at ten percent, um, and then you have the worst team, North Melbourne. They, they when they turn over the ball, 
they're getting scored on 21% of the time. So there's a massive gap between how teams respond to turnovers. Um, it could be that they're losing the ball at the halfway line compared to turning it over in the back pocket. So there's a certain maybe quality uh, nuance that could be um, identified. But I I think it's definitely kind of a novel way of looking at how, how teams prevent opposition scoring from turnovers because one of a, a, a big thing is like ball movement and ball speed from turnovers is one of the best predictors of whether you're going to end up with a shot on goal. So if you're able to move the ball quickly, um, then from a turnover, you're able to catch the defence out. Uh, and, and we can see that the cats just don't allow nearly half as much um, scoring from turnovers. Mm. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about another one of the the concept maps that you sort of posted. Uh, average disposal location. If you obviously we're doing this in an audio sense, but if you just sort of picture a big whiteboard and you you write players' names all over the whiteboard and you have different uh, thicknesses of lines between them, that's sort of what we're looking at. Can you explain sort of what what that describes and how it was developed and what we learn about teams with this metric? Yeah, I got. This this type of graph is very um, it's very popular amongst uh, uh, European European football um, analysts. They they like building out pass maps where you're able to draw a line between a player and another player and see how many times the ball was passed between the two, and you plot that onto the soccer pitch, and you can see where that player is stationed compared to the opposition. So are they well, compared to their teammates. So are there a lot of long balls going over the top? Is a lot of short passes? Are there triangles? Um, are there squares maybe where, there, where there's like a passing structure? So I wanted to kind of replicate that on uh, on a footy field. And it's a bit tricky because there's 18 players on a field compared to just the 11, 10 plus a goalkeeper on a soccer field. Um, so I wanted to kind of do some experimentation with visualising a pass map um, uh, at an AFL level. So an interesting one that I that I quite liked was um, kick-ins and kick-ins that turn into shots on goal. Um, so you're able to see who takes the kick-in, where does the ball go to, who normally picks it up, who are the connections in the midfield, and then finally how far up are your forwards coming up on the kick-ins and who's the one staying behind that ends up with the eventual shot on goal. So you could kind of imagine this as kind of like a, a big web starting from fullback to full forward, and you can see how often passes happen between players um, that um, that that result in a shot on goal. Yeah. And well, I imagine be- that one, sorry, I imagine that one's really useful because that's about as close as we've got in AFL football to a set play is, mm. is the kick out, and you can sort of see that the style they want to run. You could watch all their their kickouts uh, on video footage, but having the data just makes it much more quick to analyse and, and get what they're trying to do there. Absolutely. A big, one of the most stark ones that I saw was Melbourne from kick-ins. They, 90% of the time, they kick it long and to the left. So Stephen May, that's 90% of the time, kicks it long and to the left, and then you'll see players ready to mark it. It'll be Gorn, and then around Gorn, you'll have a lot of a lot of the smaller midfielders, midfielders and halfbacks. You'll see Petrarca further up the wing, and then you'll see the forwards that then convert that into a shot on goal. So you can really you can really see the definition between teams, and you can see who is most likely to pass to each other. So for for example, in the in the Port Adelaide midfield, one of the strongest connections is just Boak and wines essentially and they're essentially on top of each other and they're constantly handballing it to each other um, but that's like a really strong connection um, so that's an example of how you could use this kind of pass map to to find out how teams move the ball yeah yeah well look it's it's all really interesting with all the different metrics and we'll, we'll sort of go into what you've got planned in the in the future i'm sure you've got some more ideas about how you want to display data but 
I guess, what do you think the most common mistakes people make when they analyze data? Obviously, there's a lot of there's a lot of numbers and there's a lot of visuals and the like, and can be easy to become overwhelmed or can be easy to focus on the wrong things. What do you think the biggest issues that people have when they're when they're looking at data? Mm-hmm. I I I think in terms of in terms of footy data, it's you got to start at the basics. You need to start where um, you, you need to you need to start with something that gives you um, a visualization or a model that you can then apply to something that you can see or a known outcome or you know, let's say you know a certain thing, but you want it to show up in the data. So you need, you, you really need to make sure that you're, when you initially start, that you're doing, you're doing something that allows you to uh, impart some insight into why you're seeing certain certain kind of um, plays in the data or certain kind of indicators for, for success. Um, a, a, a big part of it is just experimenting. You've, you've got to be able to kind of prototype, uh, experiment quickly and just try try a lot of different things um, kind of move, moving onwards. So it's, I, I'd say... Um, there's also there's also a tendency in in the media to kind of just look at look at um, look at the score, look at the goal kicking, and then look at a disposal tally. Um, and I think I think if you want to get into kind of advanced data, you really you need to move ahead um, of just these basic stats. There, everyone has access to them, and everyone knows what they are. But in in terms of how they can inform you, inform you, and in how and um, really make kind of advanced analysis of it. You need you need to have a more nuanced nuanced look at footy um, compared to kind of these basic stats. Yeah, well, it sort of leads into my next question then in terms of what stats do you think fans and media focus on too much? And then conversely, what do you think isn't being talked about enough that is easy, easy for people to access? I think... I think the the one that gets the one that's commonly misunderstood is um, pressure pressure stats. I think that I think Champion Data and Fox Footy need to do a better job of just educating people on what the pressure stat is. I think it's a fantastic stat. It's a way of determining how much physical corralling and chasing pressure you're putting onto a team over a period of time. And I just wish they would explore that a bit more it's it's such a fascinating stat that not even i have access to um i I doubt analysts of football clubs even have access to but it's yeah i think it's a it's a real missed opportunity talked about too much are probably fantasy scores and super coach scores i i'm not a i don't play fantasy or super coach i think it's like Oh, I find it really banal. <laughs> I really don't like it. Yeah. All my friends, all my friends, just like saying, "Oh, you should play. You should, you should get a team together and analyze and blah blah blah." And I'm like, oh, "Man, that's my job. I, <laughs> I analyze spreadsheets for a job. I don't want to do competitive spreadsheeting. I just, you don't just want to do it for a year, win all the prizes, and then retire." No, no, that sounds so boring. I'd have to pay attention every week on the same spreadsheet. It's so tedious. I, I, I tried one year. I got two rounds in, and I'm like, I'd much rather do something. I'd rather do anything else. <laughs> I, Fair enough. Um, I'm, I'm the same. I, I probably make it a bit further than you. I probably get about halfway in, and mm. then you get too many injuries, and you, you run out of trades, and you're just like, all right, I'm out. So yeah. Yeah, I couldn't even get started. Like I don't I don't get it. And I feel that, that it's it's like a it's not I wouldn't even call it like it's it's like analysis, but it's so basic and kind of fundamental that there's really no nuance. Like if a player gets 160 fantasy points in a in a loss, hmm. then everyone's singing that player's hmm. praises, but there, there's no nuance into what yeah. what what were they doing with the ball just because they got it kicked and they kicked it out of bounds five times in a row mm. does it does that mean they get three points every kick like it's What's just the, a bit weird 
it's a Jake Lloyd effect. You know, he gets mm. over 150 super coach points, but, you know, 90% of that's because he plays on from the kick out. Exactly. And kicks it, and kicks it long. Yeah, Daniel a contest, Rich. And that, that's counted as an effective kick. So, there. Yep. The Daniel Rich and Stephen May yeah. kind of effect where they just kick it out a bunch of times and you're like, what value is that adding? Like, yeah. champion yeah. data classify that as, as an effective kick. You've just booted it 40 plus metres. Mm. So, I think uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of fantasy. Um I'm sure everyone listening is going to hate me for saying that. We've, lost, we've lost half our viewer base. That's okay. <laughs> Listener base. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, look, let's let's wrap up by coming back to Essendon. Uh, mm-hmm. Look, I guess just in your overall reading of the metrics of Essendon, uh, what do they suggest that they're, they're key things they need to improve on in order to be a premiership contender? And you can't say everything because I know that's probably the simple answer. Speed of ball movement and accuracy of ball movement. The, the game in this modern age is all determined about how fast you move the ball and how accurate you are at moving the ball. Um, whether you're able to translate that into a shot on goal or not, but I, I'd I'd say for for Essendon, it's just about ball movement and ball speed is something that um, definitely needs to be worked on. You've got some great halfback kickers and great. Um, kind of young players and like Nick Martin is just amazing. Um, he's probably my favorite Don's player. Um, but it's like giving the ball more often, you know, you got to be more accurate in the transition phase. Um, and then also just having the, yeah, uh, it's, it's a cliche, but it's like running both ways. You got to be able to do the hard running backwards. So I'd say it's, it's all about moving the ball speed in transition is, is definitely kind of the, the main point. Essendon are one of the most indirect to goal um, teams in the AFL. They like to move it around the wings um, way, way above above the AFL average. So I think there's a certain type of directness that, um, that Essendon need to kind of build into their game plan. Um, they're, they're currently rated fifth for... Um, least direct um, when going towards goal. So there's a certain kind of directness that needs to be have. And they're just, their ball movement speed is just the, the, the third slowest um, in the AFL. So they, it's comes back to that point of ball movement and transition. So both being a team that works its way around the edges and then moves at a slow pace just allows the defence to get um, to get set up behind the ball. And I think that's something that um, they, they really need to take a, take a look at. Um, they don't kick it to contests um, quite as much as the Air 4 average. So they they probably need to trust their trust the forwards a lot more to to be able to win the contest. They're a fairly middle of the road team when it comes to winning contests, but they don't kick it to contests enough. So I think they've just got to, um, they got to trust their forward line a bit more. And, and, and judging by and Essendon's defense, looking at the other side, they're fairly, they're, they're not the best. I, I think they're like rated 16th or 17th for overall defense. Um, so it's, it's, it's just about kind of shoring up the defense as well. Um, whether that's a structural change. Um, the opposition disposals per intercept are just so high. It's like the second highest. Um, so too many, too many, uh, too many turnovers um, that, that's really kind of killing them on the transition. And so, so when you say, sorry, when you say disposal per turnover, does that mean they're once, it, once, it, once, once Essendon turned the ball over, the opposition's, uh, controlling it to a higher level than other teams manage to do against other teams? Yeah, so they're, they're a team that relies on its... SM relies on its defensive structure to kind of generate, to to kind of cause turnovers. Um, but they they just... They're, they're one of the highest in terms of opposition disposals um, per intercept. Um, so they, they're, they're allowing... They're allowing a lot of disposals, opposition disposals, before they get an intercept. Um, so whether that comes down to pressure and setting up uh, a kind of a defensive structure um, is just allowing allowing too many opposition disposals. 
Okay. That's an, that is an interesting one because I, I, I've done a much more basic analysis than you. And I think one of the, one of the best metrics to say whether a team's a premiership chance is their intercept differential, whether they, how many more, how many more intercepts per game they generate than their opposition. That seems to me, you know, just, just doing basic footy wire division. Um, you know, when you go back, mm. I went back to, I think Hawthorne 2015 and every team bar the Bulldogs premiership has been in the top four mm. for that, for that particular metric. Um, you know, I, 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 not not any rocket science there. You know, if you're generating more intercepts, you, you're probably generating more score opportunities. But it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's sort of their disposals per intercept generated. It's an interesting one that I think I'll start to look at across the rest of the season. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, the season coming up, what have you got planned? Is there anything new you're going to be focusing on? Um, I'm kind of looking to consolidate on what I've what I've made previously. Um, probably turn into something a bit more, a bit more professional a bit more automatic um i'll see i'll see where it takes me i think the past maps um is something i'm going to look at a bit further um i built a, a model that did kicking efficiency kind of rating um based on the difficulty of the kicks so we're thinking expected scores but for general in play kicks okay and uh, another thing that i'm going to work on is about center bounce analysis so um, you can stay stay tuned for stay tuned for that. Excellent. Well, we love we love talking about center bounce analysis and how many times players go into the center bounce and you know what that means for how tired teams are because they overuse certain players at the center bounce there. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what you develop there. Uh, but look, Liam, thanks so much for joining me tonight. I uh, really appreciate the chat. I I know I loved it, and hopefully the listeners will too. Just uh, before we go, where can people find you and, and the work you do? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. So if you look up crow underscore data underscore sci, uh, SEO, so you can follow me on Twitter. And that's where I post all my advanced um, AFL stats. If you're into the more useless stuff, then we're on Facebook as useless AFL stats. And my DMs are open. You can send me <clears throat> send me questions or analysis that you, that you think would be interesting. And um, I'll get back to you. So, uh, yeah, mainly Twitter. Well, we'll see how long that lasts till Musk burns it down. I know you're not very happy about the the suggested API changes no, um, there, so we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, we might we might all have to mig- mass migrate to a, another platform uh, at some stage this year, but hopefully not because I'm comfortable where I am. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, uh, again, thanks so much for your time tonight. Uh, thanks very much, listeners. Uh, if you're listening to this in the main feed, just be aware that. Uh, Patreons get access to this content a week earlier. Uh, You can find the link to that in the description of this show. Other than that, uh, thanks again for listening and go Dons.